0: Uh, It's so good uh, to be here this morning as we open God's Word together. Um, This morning we are finishing our series on uh, faithful emotions as uh, we look at Psalm 88 and grief and sorrow. Uh, I should start by prefacing, it's a bit of an interesting one to end on, it's not really the high point in some regards, but at the same time uh, it is as we think about the hope that we have within grief. Uh, I do also wanna put a bit of a disclaimer out. We all have come from different backgrounds, experienced different things. Uh, If, as we look at grief and sorrow, uh, it triggers something in you, uh, please do chat with Toby, uh, chat with myself or someone uh, here that you know and trust. How about, Uh, We start now uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the way that you teach us and use it uh, to help grow us. We pray that you would be with us this morning as we understand what it is uh, to grieve and uh, experience sorrow. Uh, We pray this in your name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever heard the phrase, it's better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. It feels like one of those classic phrases that we say anytime there's an experience of a heartbreak and I don't know about you, but every time you hear it, you never want it told to you at that point in time. You're like, yeah, I get it, I get it, but it kind of hurts to hear that. I'd rather just not have lost. Yeah, thank you. Thank um, <laughs> You see, it's a great understanding, though, of what grief is. Grief is the emotional expression of a loss, uh, whether it be a loss in a relationship, if someone passing away, uh, they can be quite individual understandings, but there's also uh, communal and common grief, such as uh, the queen passing and the way a nation's mourn, or even the way our communities bind together over the grief of loss, like the car crash that happened a week ago. See, grief can be experienced in many different ways. But for the people watching, there tends to be one really common response, and it's discomfort. You see, It makes sense to uh, some extent that as we see grief, we are uncomfortable, we are awkward, because it's the experience of a broken world. We are experiencing the reality that sin and death are part of our life, and that's not what we were designed for. But as we see this and we're uncomfortable, we tend to do three things. We try to fix it. We try to minimize it or we just try to forget about it. And maybe you've experienced that as uh, you've shared a grief with someone and they've responded with an uplifting quote or by telling you uh, Matthew 5, uh, 4, which says, "Anyone who grie- blessed is a person who grieves and just tries to leave it there. But that is probably not the best way to help someone who's grieving And best way for us is we process grief and sorrow. You see, the media also gets it wrong. They go over the top and try to politicize things or turn everything back into a statement. We need to find a happy middle. And I think the Psalms really do that for us. The Psalms give us great insight into what grief is and helps us understand it and deal with it better than our culture does. There's a large portion of the Psalms that are of lament. Uh, They can be individual and uh, this communal grief. And the fact that our Bible shows it for us shows that it's an important reality of life. That it is a response to brokenness. But let's understand how to use it and deal with it faithfully. And this brings us uh, to the first point, which is wrestling and turmoil. We're going to be looking at this in three uh, points. We'll look at wrestling and turmoil. We'll look at is anyone listening? And finally, the hope in grief. So wrestling and turmoil. Uh, I think one of the first things is the issue of the power of positive thinking. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it before. But it's this idea that we try to minimize, we try to fix, and just do whatever we can to move on because we're uncomfortable with pain. It's not about listening It's about just doing whatever you can to survive. And that is not what our psalm is doing here. So as we come to the beginning of Psalm 88, instead of being uncomfortable, let's listen and see what is going on. So Psalm 88, verse 1 to 8. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me in all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with
1: grief. Can you hear the
0: pain? Can you hear the fears in the psalmist as he feels that everything is coming to an end? So often in grief, we assume that everything is over, that nothing is ever going to be better again. And we function in a way that is just trying to survive. And we see that here. In his prayer, he is overwhelmed. He is left for dead. You see, this goes in two parts. He says, "I." I am overwhelmed. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am set apart with the dead." He feels that he is in despair. He is hopeless and left. He thinks he's never going to make it, that things will never get better. He's been forgotten by God, he believes.
1: Rejected.
0: But you see, then he turns in verse 6. He's no longer thinking about what's happening to him, but he starts throwing accusations at God. You have put me in the lowest pit. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me. You, you, you have done this to me. I cannot escape this despair because of what you have done. You see, the psalmist here is sitting and ruminating on these things, and rather than trying to recover, he's building resentment to God. He's got this tunnel vision as he sees no way out.
1: To him, his eyes are dim with grief, and it is God's
0: fault. Now, this is a bit extreme, it would seem, to be accusing God of such a thing. And it's important, I think, that we go and look at Job to understand this. You see, in Job, uh, he experiences all these terrible things. And to the reader who's outside of the scene, we see that it is not God acting, but Satan and you see Satan's, uh, <laughs> Job's friends try and rebuke Job, saying, no, no, this is because you've done something. It's a bit of that karma idea, but they're told they're wrong. You see, God doesn't act against those who are faithful. He doesn't act out in an aggressive way against those who are faithful. So the psalmist
1: accusing God is wrong. But it shows the rawness of the
0: psalm. And the fact that it is here for us to read actually shows how deeply God understands the things that we experience. That even though it's wrong for us to tell him what he's done right or wrong, he understands our pain. He understands our grief, and more than that, he forgives us for it, and we'll get to that. You see, there are things we do in our pain that we often regret later. We can hurt others and push them away as we try to work out what's going on. You see, verse 9 to 12, we get this list of questions that the psalmist asks, and they all lead to this same thing. He's trying to work out what is going on, but it all comes down to this rhetorical question of why have you left me for dead? But The psalmist seems to have no answer. And so this brings us to the second point, is anyone listening? So do you ever feel like in the midst of a trouble or even on a good day when you just want to share what's good, that no one is listening? Because the psalmist does here. In verse 1, in verse 9, and in verse 13, we see him call out to God. In verse 1, it's I cry out to you. In verse 9, It's I call out to you, and 13 is I cry for help. This is highlighting his despair, his desperation to be heard by God. But he feels that God isn't listening. He feels that his prayers are falling on deaf ears of a God who has turned his face You see, I think it's important in a way that this this psalm doesn't have an answer because it reminds us that there isn't necessarily a quick fix to our problems, that our prayers aren't answered straight away in the way we
1: want them answered. Things can be slow.
0: And even though this psalm has no resolve, does not mean there is no hope. We see as the passage continues, we see lots of imagery of the desperation. In 16 to 17, we see this idea of being overwhelmed by despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. It's this feeling of being completely overwhelmed, the natural forces that are felt here with the waves, the flood, that there is no control. And this is added to by the fact that in verse 6, 12, and 18, there's this constant reference to darkness. You have put me in my lowest pit, in
1: the darkest depth.
0: You see, the psalmist sees nothing, sees no hope, that he is alone. His friends have left him. He has been cut off from everything, even from God's care. This uh, psalmist, the cycle just keeps going down and down as he feels the wrath of God, or so he thinks. You see, it's hard in a way to rectify hope when you read this because it's not in this psalm at all. The last phrase of this psalm in verse 18 is, you have taken from me my friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. Darkness is my closest friend. We are so far from what the psalmist said in verse one, that you are the God who saves me. It almost makes us feel like that part was rhetorical, that he's saying, You saved me, but I haven't felt that. That you are not there for me, that darkness is the only thing
1: who is here for me. You see, the psalmist has lost
0: sight of hope. He has lost sight of the hope of eternal life. And so he fears death. He fears death because he does not think God is there for him. The one thing that gives hope after death,
1: and he doesn't have.
0: and we see his grief, we see the pain that he experienced, the loneliness, the blame, as he cries out, as he feels overwhelmed by despair, that nothing will fix it, that he
1: is rejected, and that darkness is his
0: only friend, which to some extent, every time I read that line, reminds me of Uh, The Sound of Silence by Simon Garfunkel, but that's okay. It's definitely not the same song. You see, we can't leave what has happened here because this is not the end. For the psalmist, he might feel like there is nothing left, but there is hope. We don't want to be left in this same space as the psalmist feeling that There is nothing but death. There is nothing but darkness. But we have a great hope.
1: A hope in God.
0: A hope in Christ and in what he has done. You see, the psalmist has been caught up in his tunnel vision of no hope at all. But so often in grief and pain. We realize our hopelessness. We realize the need for answers. And it's often a time that people search. And it's in that search that we find what Christ has done for us. We find the hope
1: in Christ. You
0: see, we are not alone in our grief because Christ, too, has suffered grief. The shortest verse in the whole Bible says Jesus wept, as Jesus wept for his friend Lazarus who died. Jesus knew that he could raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus felt the brokenness of the world. He experienced the pain that we felt too. You see, more than that, Jesus didn't just feel grief then. He didn't feel sorrow then, but he also felt it when he was on the cross. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he hung there to die for us because he has suffered so that we do not suffer alone. See, Christ, as he died on the cross, gave us the hope of eternal glory, the hope that the psalmist here could not see. The hope that means even in the midst of darkness, despair, of grief and sorrow, that there is hope in something to come. The hope of eternal glory. You see, because of Christ, because of what he has done, We never experience this same loneliness. We never experience the true depths that the psalmist might feel. Because even when we feel that we have nothing to say, we actually have the Spirit with us. See, Romans 8, 26 tells us that even when we don't have the words, that the Spirit can intercede for us. See, even when we don't know what to say, God
1: is listening.
0: So last week uh, we looked at Psalm 33 and the idea of joy. And Toby uh, reminded us that we don't just give thanks in our joy because we're joyful, but it's because of who God is. That he is faithful and true, that he is sovereign in control of all. And the same goes. Because we don't just praise him when we're in a good time, but we praise him all times because of who he is, even in the lows, we can be assured of who he is and the hope that we have. Because though we might change, God does not. Though we might struggle, God is steadfast. And this is great reason to rejoice that even in our pain, God is with us because he is always with us. Just as Michael said before, he is the promised keeper that Christ came for us, that we have life in him so the darkness does never overcome.
1: But This does not mean
0: that we don't experience grief and sorrow. And in fact, we will experience grief.
1: But how do we honour God in it?
0: Well, often we have to wrestle. We have to seek God and look past the darkness, look past the despair and what our heart tells us we should do. We have to look past the selfishness of a sinful world and turn to God. Not caught up feeling hopeless like the psalmist. We want to fix our eyes on what is ahead. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 16 to 18 tells us to look to what is unseen, heaven, not the temporary pain. Look towards the time when every tear will be wiped away.
1: And so often in
0: this, we need to call out to God for help to do that. Cry out to him, ask for help. And when we can't do that, when we can't gather the words, know that he is still listening as the spirit
1: intercedes.
0: You see, it's not easy, but at times, as we wrestle with our pain and sorrow, we might need to forgive. Just as Christ on the cross, as he hung there for us, said, forgive them, Lord, for they do not know what they are doing. In the same way, we might need to forgive despite our pain, despite how we feel. And this is not easy. I don't know if you uh, remember hearing a few years ago about a crash and uh, some parents lost their kids. Um, those parents were Christian, and in the news it came out after that they had forgiven the person who killed their child. And they said that despite the pain, it is okay because their children are in heaven. It is so difficult, but what an incredible witness showing that in our pain, in grief, there is hope in eternity. In our pain, as we wrestle and struggle with everything that goes on, there's always temptations to stray from the truth. That there might be an easier option if we move away from what the Bible says, but we must stand firm. and not lose hope like the psalmist. And for those of us who maybe don't experience grief in the same way but are sitting alongside someone in it, we too need to be careful. We need to be patient and loving and listening. Support and remind people as they wrestle that there is a loving God. doesn't mean that we just uh, spout the happy and easy verses or cultural references that make everything better. We help the people wrestle. We help truly understand what is going on. But at the same time, reminded constantly of Christ, that the pain he endured for us, and the great promise in the future that we have. See, grief and sorrow are painful and uncomfortable.
1: But God is faithful.
0: So let us endure, remembering the hope we have to come when there will be no pain, no grief, when we are united with our eternal faith, And as the words of 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 says, Do not lose heart, for your light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the ways in which you teach us and grow us. Lord, we pray that you would help us in times of grief and pain, though hard as they may be, to fix our eyes on what is unseen, on you, on the eternal hope and glory we have. Lord, help us continue to live for you and grow more and more every day. Amen.